0: It's nice to be together on Sundays to uh, fellowship and pray and worship and open up the scriptures together. So that's what we're about to do now. And I'm preaching on only one verse today as we're back in the Ten Commandments. And the verse is Exodus 20 and verse 7, which is the third commandment concerning taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, we've already had a couple other messages out of the Ten Commandments that had to do with the idols. In fact, I think that was two parts. There was the uh, not having any other gods before me, and then the the images that we explicated and talked about the generational curses. Now we're into taking the Lord's name in vain, and it's prohibited in the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments. Let's give an overview, so I want you to know where I'm going with this. I found my research on this material just fascinating this week. There were more ideas and concepts in this one verse than I imagined could have existed, but they're there, and I'll be able to show you that. First of all, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. That's the commandment. Yahweh's name speaks of his person, speaks of his nature, and his mighty deeds. All of the things that are his self-revelation. That's Yahweh. Take, the word take means to lift up, raise, or carry. It does not mean utter, as people often think it's the only thing it must mean. And by the way, I'm going to tell you about all this. I'm just telling you where I'm going, okay? So you don't have to write real quick to get it all. Vain means empty, unsubstantial, or worthless. There are implications about speech, but they do not exhaust the meaning. And God's people always bear His name, and they are either glorifying it or bearing it in vain. That's where we're going with this sermon. Let's go to our passage, Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the lo- name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes His name in vain. Now, the three key ideas are what does it mean to take? What's that word mean? What is the significance of the name? And what would it be to take it in vain? What's vain? What's that all about? Now, the name is something we should be very familiar with because we have been preaching through Exodus and we saw that God over and over again said that he was going to demonstrate his name, vindicate his name, and, and so on, by doing the mighty deeds. Remember, Pharaoh would find out who Yahweh is because of the mighty deeds. Uh, Moses at the burning bush, which I'm going to show you in a bit. All of these things have been moving forward where it culminates at Sinai, where God comes down and speaks. And all of this is filling in for them. The concept of the meaning of the name is the person of Yahweh himself. Let me show you just one little aspect of that. It could spend a lot of time just showing what the name is all about. But this one is very significant. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Now, this is signifying God's uh, eternal existence. God is not dependent on anything outside of himself. It's one of God's attributes. God did not come into being. He always was and always is. God is not a created being. He is. He exists. He is not contingent on anything outside of himself. For his existence. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord. Now, I am is identified as Yahweh, who was earlier identified as the angel of the Lord in Exodus chapter 3. Now, let me talk about the the fencing of the name. Let me just uh, get our minds going that way right now. The Jewish people thought that the best way to obey the the third commandment is don't even pronounce the name. Don't, and so they wouldn't, wouldn't put the vowel pointers in so nobody could even know how to pronounce it. And they thought if you don't never utter the name, it's going to be impossible to profane it. Well, that's not a correct interpretation of this. In fact, it's quite a false interpretation of this. And avoiding utterance isn't the way you avoid profaning God when he's called you to be his people. And I'll show you that in a bit. Now, because of that, there was question about how the tetragrammaton, those four consonants are to be pronounced, but it's pretty well universally amongst the scholars now believed that the correct pronunciation is Yahweh. But the interesting thing is that we continue in the tradition of fencing the name because I have a lot of English Bibles in my Bible software. I pulled every one up and there's not a single one that ever translates Yahweh as Yahweh. Okay, they all fence the name in the way that the Jewish people do. And, and the way they do it here is do they show uh, capital L and in small caps O-R-D and we're supposed to know that that stands for those four vowels or Yahweh. And, and it, it, all of them, uh, there may be a... Bible, I haven't, haven't asked Carl. He's the Bible expert because he collects the Bibles. Uh, I don't know if any Bible has ever come out that actually translates Yahweh is Yahweh. Now, it's not necessary to fence the name. I'm going to show you. We don't have to build a wall around us so nobody can hear it or see it or say it. What we do need to do is believe it and live it. Okay? We need to confess the truth about God and live in a way that shows that it weighs heavily upon us. But this is the the protocol. So what you need to know is when you see these capitals, the actual word behind that in Hebrew is the the tetragrammaton or Yahweh. So the Lord, okay, the I am, the God who is, the God who exists, the God who always has been, the God who's not contingent on anything outside of himself, the God who reveals himself here to Moses at the burning bush as I am is Yahweh. Yahweh. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And then notice what it says about the name. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So that when Israel in the future, whenever they hear of the name of Yahweh, they associate it with the event of the Exodus, and particularly his self-revelation to Moses, and then the Passover and then his self-revelation at Sinai. That name brings that to mind. Plus, it brings to mind the promises to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that is what we need to remember. God is 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 who He is in all of His attributes and all of His glory, and the name signifies everything that God is in His per- person and nature. Now, I'm just put a little summary here. Of, of some of those things that we see just in Exodus. This is just limited to Exodus. The name Yahweh in Exodus is linked to God's attributes. In fact, we just read that in chapter 3, but it is elsewhere, especially when he comes to Moses to reveal himself and says that he's full of loving kindness and truth in these things. Okay, Exodus 34. To his deliverance, this reiterated, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. To his provision, God brings the manna to them and cares for them as His own people. To His presence, God being present with Israel in the theophany. To His covenant and to His special miracles. All of the things God said and did are to inform Israel of who Yahweh is. And that's why... Uh, there are the feasts in the Old Testament because it's a reminder of things that God did. The reminder of the Passover. It's It's his memorial name for all generations. So the name is more than an utterance of some letters or sounds. The name signifies the very person of the God of the Bible. That's what the name is about. Now, let's talk about the next thing. Now, we talk about name. What's the name all about? What about take? What does take mean? Well, it's interesting. Here it says you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word take from the Hebrew means to lift up, to raise, or to carry. In fact, uh, Dr. Durham said it can even mean to wear. So, What it means to Israel, in fact, Kylan Talish, the 19th century scholar, said it does not mean to utter. Now, by implication, it does. You can take God's name and carry it to your lips. Okay, You can bring it up to your lips. And so there are sins of utterance that are forbidden here. Certainly taking God's name as a swear word is forbidden. I'm not trying to belittle that part of it. But I think that we don't quite get it. In fact, I'm sure I didn't get it until this last week. I know I didn't. I, I didn't see all of this. But the this, uh, this study I've done in this last week is, uh, shows that a lot of scholars don't get things because they don't think that it can be different than what everybody always thought it was. You have to read what the Bible's telling you to understand it. It's trying to tell us something. So a lot of Christians would say, okay, now that I'm a born-again Christian, I've got to quit cussing in God's name. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to, to reinforce that idea. Okay. And um, because that would certainly be taking God's name lightly, if, that's all, if all the name of God means to you is a swear word, that's definitely taking it lightly or insignificantly. And it's, it's I think, profaning the name. So you don't want to do that. But to lift, raise, or carry... Uh, means that this name goes with you. It's something that is part of the lives of the people of God are called by His name. In fact, my study showed me that once you become a covenant per, uh, believer, whether under the old covenant and certainly under the new, you'll bear the name. And that's just the way it is. And the question is, bearing the name Will it be something that rests heavily upon you as we will see or lightly? Is it something that will bring glory and honor to God who gave you the name to bear as his covenant person, covenant believer? Or is it something that will rest lightly upon us as not being all that significant? That's an issue. Let's go on. What about vain? That was carried. Now let's look at vain. The word vain means emptiness, vanity unsubstantial worthless lightness just something that's not important not not so great, kind of worthless it's the word shav in the Hebrew and it's used 52 times in the Old Testament so when it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, Harris and Archer of the theological wordbook of the Old Testament say this quote, it designates anything that is unsubstantial, unreal worthless either materially or morally so to carry God's name around to wear God's name to bear God's name to lift up God's name in vain is to take the person of God who called you and revealed himself to you and has spoken his words to us in the scripture and taking it It's of so little significance, it's not even important to you. That's what it means to take in vain. I'm going to do a bunch of applications of how this idea was actually applied in the Old Testament. And it's amazing how it was applied. And it would apply to way more people than what they'd think. There's an awful lot of people who think they don't take the Lord's name in vain who are doing it every day. I want to say I'm also going somewhere. I'm going to end up with God's grace. I I did this study, and I kept every day this last week, every day more and more and more I'm digging in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm looking up these words. I'm looking up references. I'm looking up applications. Finally, what day was it? New Year's Day. I had to talk to somebody about it, and Eric knows Hebrew, so I called him. And we talked for a couple hours just about the significance of this and what it's saying to us in the Hebrew and we both said, you know, this is this is scary. This is really scary. And I realized if I don't end up this sermon with God's grace that he can cause us to be able to bring honor to his name, we're all going to be very scared when we go out of here. <laughs> well, it's not so always bad to be scared, is it? If you're thinking about God's presence or his name. Let me quote this John Durham that I mentioned who talked... To, Uh, who has a commentary in a word series about Exodus. And here's what he said about what this verse means. He says, in general terms, this commandment prohibits a lack of seriousness about Yahweh's presence in Israel. Listen, a lack of seriousness about Yahweh's presence in Israel. Demonstrate through a pointless, misleading, or even false use of his name. To treat Yahweh's name with disrespect is to treat his gift lightly. That's a good word, lightly, to treat it lightly. To underestimate his power, to scorn his presence, to misrepresent to the family of humankind his very nature as the one who always is. Old Testament Israel was God's representation, God's representatives to the nations. And when, God, when the nations saw what God was doing in Israel, they're supposed to see the significance of the name. And when that didn't happen, they were told by their prophets, you've profaned God's name. You've profaned his name. And I'll show you in Malachi where they were doing that and didn't even realize they were doing it. They didn't even understand that they were doing that. Now let's just talk about the speech part of it, and then we'll make some applications or look at some applications already were made by the prophets In the Old Testament, what kind of speech is prohibited? Well, one thing that was specified in Leviticus, and I didn't put all the Bible verses in here. I just gleaned these from a lot of places in the Old Testament. But using the name to swear falsely, what that would be would to be take an oath in the name of Yahweh and then not keep it. That was a serious offense in the old under the Old Testament. They weren't forbidden from having oaths, but they couldn't take one in the name and then profane the name by not keeping their oath. Um, The name is not to be used frivolously. And so I would say that's where our forbidden speech is. People that use God's name just sort of a filler in the middle of a sentence that really doesn't need to be there instead of saying, oh, shoot. I think we shouldn't do that. I don't think we should use God's name that way. I think it's a valid application here because it's taking it lightly. Speaking falsely in God's name, and I'll show you that from the Old Testament, where somebody says, thus saith the Lord, and what they're doing is saying, thus saith me. God doesn't want to be blamed for my words. (laughs) Okay? They better be the true words of God or don't say they are from God. Speaking defiant or complaining words, and that's one of the things the Old Testament did. In Numbers 14, they had this big thing called the provocation in the book of Hebrews, where they defied God, and He said that they'd brought, they'd, they'd, that they'd sinned against His name. Yahweh. Yahweh brought us out. We don't want to go into the promised land because we don't believe His promises. Numbers 14. Using God's name to conjure or as an incantation. See, in the ancient world, They had the idea that if you knew the name of some spirit being or deity, one could force that being or persuade that being, or or by using incantations, get the being to do their bidding for them. to To either stave off curses or to put a curse on somebody else or to bring some good thing to pass. And so... They would try to use the names of the deities in their incantations, in their conjurations. But there's no ordained conjuration in the Old Testament for God's people. Because God cannot be conjured. God doesn't show up when we do incantation. And this has applications in today's church where they're using... uh, I heard somebody uh, teaching that when I was in seminary or saying that's what we ought to do. Just say the Jesus prayer over over and over. Say it a thousand times. God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful. They're doing conjuration. A prayer that's uttered to God is a concept that's a communication. Okay? And what that prayer was was not something that it says in the Bible, if you say this a hundred times, some God will show up and do something for you. The, the guy that prayed it actually knew he was a sinner conceptually and he knew that he needed God's mercy. That's why he said it, because, that, because he was conveying an idea from his heart and mind to God in his prayer. Conjuration is using God's name to try to get something to happen. And God's name gets conjured by evangelicals all the time. It's not right. We're talking to the Creator of the universe and it's a glorious, glorious thing that He listens to us. It's a wonderful covenant privilege that He's allowed us access to the throne of grace. And when we go to that throne, we, tell, we speak as persons, covenant partners, to the God of the universe and He hears us. And we find mercy and grace in time to help. Now to take that into a the incantation or conjuration is blasphemous and wicked and is taking God's name in vain. Let's go now into some Old Testament examples of how the Jews understood this and how the prophets spoke about this. Now this verse, Ezekiel 13, 6, and then verse 7, the word falsehood is our word vain from Numbers 20 and verse 7. It's the same word, lightly, lightly. inconsequentially vain. So that's why this is an application of that. Here's what it says. They see falsehood, vanity, and lying divination who are saying Yahweh declares, the Lord, but it's Yahweh, when Yahweh has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it's not I who have spoken? They're taking God's name in vain. And that's why it shocks me when I talk to people who believe that we can have new revelations and new prophecies, and they say they can speak, thus saith the Lord, uh, in the church, to the church, inspecting people to know that's what God said, but they said it doesn't really have to be what God said. I might be wrong. What they're doing is saying, I don't think it's important whether what I say in God's name is true. The Bible calls that taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, I can be guilty of that by misrepresenting his word. That's why I said after you just meditate on this all week, at the end of the week, the thing you're left with is the fear of God. And it's going to drive me to the Bible. (laughs) God help me. I don't want to get up here and tell you God said something, and he didn't. Because I took his name in vain. And I gave that up when I got saved. Well, pretty much, other than the two weeks after I got saved, I was golfing and I hit one in the creek. (laughs) And out came what's not supposed to come out. I was only a two-week-old Christian. It was such a good shot, too. It almost got to the green, then boom, bounced in the crib. And I got so upset, I gave up golf for a long time. I, I did. I just went home and put the clothes away. He says, if this is going to cause me to blaspheme God, I've got I to grow on as a Christian before I can play this game. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. You know, take up golf and you'll have to get sanctified. Because <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's like driving in traffic. All right, enough of golf. But I, it's pretty heavy stuff. I've got to lighten it a little bit here. Let's see another Ezekiel passage. Ezekiel 22:28 says this, And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing vain. There's our word from Exodus 20 and verse 7. It's used 52 times in the Old Testament. Seeing vain visions. In divining lies. In Notice they're, not, they're divining. They're doing what's forbidden in Deuteronomy 18. Divining lies for them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord has spoken. Yahweh did not say that. So you are taking the Lord's name in vain. He didn't say that. Let's go to Malachi 3, verse 13. Just giving you examples of how this is used in the Old Testament. That's all I'm doing here. It says here, Malachi three thirteen 13 and 14. Your words have been arrogant against me, said the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? See, they're, they're, not, they're unconscious of this. It's possible to be continually taking the Lord's name in vain and being totally unconscious that you ever did it. Here's what it says. W- what have we spoken against you? Here's what he says. You've said this. It is vain to serve God. There's our word. It's vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we've kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord's house? In other words, we're not getting anything out of this. So when the Christian begins to look around and say, Well, I've been serving God, and I don't see my life going anywhere. I pray. I've heard people say this to me. I pray, I don't see anything happen. I, I try to follow the Ten Commandments and, and do the right things. What good is it? What good is it? It's vain. It's worthless. It's light. It's, not, it's, not a, it's an insubstantial thing to serve Yahweh. That's what they were doing in Malachi. In fact, Malachi itself, as a whole book, is, I believe, a fitting commentary on a Third Commandment. I'll show you that a little bit, some more. Let's go to the Psalms. Let's go to the opposite. Let's get the positive side of this. Well, what could we do? That would be the very opposite of taking the Lord's name in vain. What do you think we could do? Well, here's something that Psalm says, Psalm 2 and verse 11. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. It's an awesome thing to come to worship God. The reverence and trembling means we understand how awesome God is and how great of a privilege it is for us to even pray to Him or hear His Word or sing praises to His holy name, but we do so with reverence because we love Him. And we want to sing the praises of God and show forth His glory to the nations. That's the kind of worship that God would like. Psalm 95, verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to Yahweh the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Joyful, reverent, worship." that understands who it is that we have come before to worship the very God who has revealed Himself throughout the Scriptures, who has spoke in the prophets to the fathers in many portions of many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. That's who we worship. Another way to keep away from taking God's name in vain, the opposite, would be to keep covenant. Deuteronomy 28, 9 and 10. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself and he, as He swore to you, and if you keep the commandments of the Lord, Yahweh, your God, and walk in His ways, so that all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. So when the people of Israel believe what God said and obey what He said and keep covenant with God, it's going to be obvious to the people around that this is the Yahweh who said that he called them as his people, who took them out of Egypt, who brought them across the the Red Sea, who brought them to Sinai and gave them the law. This is the Lord's people, and they are unique. They're holy. They're not like any other people in the world, because they're the ones who bear the name of Yahweh. They're his people. And it can be seen that they are, by God's grace, as he's working in them. 1 Chronicles 16, 24, and 28. And i want to make a contrast here, okay? And so uh, it says here, 1 Chronicles 16, 24, and then I'm going to go to 28. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the people. So we know what God has done, and we broadcast that with our words so that the people knew what God did. In the book of Acts, what God had done was raise Jesus from the dead. That was his great work. That was his wondrous deed. That was what he did to make them a covenant people. So every message that was preached in the book of Acts mentions God's mighty deed of raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So that would be the opposite of taking God's name in vain, is proclaiming what God did in his saving work. And for Israel, the Passover was the defining deed. The second part says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Now, the word for glory is kabod. And it comes from a word that means heavy or weighty. And as I was looking at this, and this is me here. I didn't see this uh, explicated by at least the, the literature that I read this week, in which is a lot of literature, but it's, it just seems obvious to me. Kabod means heavy or weighty. Shav, vain, means empty or unsubstantial. And so giving God, ascribing glory or glorifying God or giving God glory by our words and actions is the exact opposite of taking God's name in vain. Because to take it in vain, it's light. It's insubstantial. If we're carrying the name Christian, and it doesn't really mean much to us. It means, well, I was raised in America, and I was grow up in a church, and every Christmas and Easter I go. And sometimes I go more than that if I'm not unhappy with something. It doesn't mean much. It's light. It's just it's, it's not weighing us down at all. It's just light. But when God's glory is real for us, it's weighty. It's heavy. It's it's substantial. It's meaningful. It's something that never quite gets totally out of our conscious mind. That we're walking around with God Himself who made covenant. kabbad or Shab, glory or vain. Let's do applications and implications of this. Three again. Actually, I had four, but it didn't fit on the page very good, so I took one out. You can only go where the PowerPoint lets you go, okay, and the, and the 50 minutes or whatever. Uh, to avoid taking God's name in vain, we must live in a manner that honors God. We should worship God in a way that shows that his name rests heavily upon us. And God will work graciously in his covenant people so that they will not bear his name in vain. God has a work of grace to do in our lives. Look at 2 Timothy 2.19. And this comes right out of the whole concept of the name here. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and, okay, the Lord knows if we're His, and if we believed in Jesus Christ and trusted Him as our Lord and Savior, and we're confessing Him, and believe in Him, we're justified, then we're His. That's how we know and if that's true, then this is what applies. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now, why? Because if we bear God's name and we live wickedly like the pagans around us, we profane the name of the Lord. What, you might say, well, how can you say that? I thought I was just swearing. Listen, we're bearing the name just like Israel was. It doesn't go away. It doesn't come and go if I'm having a good day or a bad day. I have the name. Christian. A serv- servant and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that I might be in covenant relationship with God. That's there. It doesn't go away. I wish I lived up to it better than I do. And I say that with all honesty. And I think every Christian does. But if we think the fact that If I'm just going to live wickedly like the pagans around and bear the name, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. There's no two ways. I mean, there's no way around that. It's just the way it's going to be. And it's not a good thing. Now, here's another admonition along the same lines. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, uh, I've preached on this before, I use this as an application point, but it's, it was an obvious one here. The pagans around us are observing us as Christians. And I know a lot of times they're fickle and I wouldn't feel bad every time one of them thinks you're not a good Christian. A, a, guy, a guy came by. <laughs> at our old building, there was always the doors knock and got any free money. You know, everybody, everybody wants free money. And so this guy... <laughs> who was obviously you know, a scam artist, uh, Had a, he had a really big story. He wanted $50. I mean, you know, that's usually like an uncle died in St. Cloud or something, $50. If they died in St. Paul, it's like 5 Duluth is up there, too. And I, sometimes I'd say, well, man, a lot of people died in St. Cloud. Well, this guy says, I want $50. I said, well, I'm sorry. Here's community emergency services. We give money to them. They help the poor. Please go there, and they'll process you and find out what your needs are and find out what you're getting already from the county, and they help you any way they can. Well, I'm not going there. They're no Throw the thing down. They get mad. Well, then, you know, that's more for if there's cameras. So the guy says, I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He says, what kind of Christian are you? And I said, I'm the kind of Christian that doesn't give $50 to a scam artist. <laughs> and he, Okay, so he was gone. Well, I'm not saying that we have to feel guilty every time somebody tries to call us a bad Christian just to get the gospel away from their own heart or mind, because that happens. And, and if you're at work, you know that happens. They're watching you, and they were looking for you to fail so they could see something wrong. No, we don't have to live under their rules. But we do have to live under God's. And if we go about doing our business the way God asks us to, to, and to abstain from wickedness and keep excellent behavior like Daniel did when they tried to find something wrong with Daniel in the Old Testament, they couldn't because he was being a faithful servant. Then we've done our part. We're bringing honor to God's name. We're glorifying his name. And it says that in the end, because we've adorned the gospel with the good deeds that God helps us do, they'll have to glorify him on the day of visitation. And that is debated whether it's the visitation for judgment or the visitation for salvation. But if you heard my message about Mishta, you know it's both. When God visits, some are saved and some are lost. Okay, So they'll either see those good deeds and, and, and decide to join us in living in a way that brings glory to God by believing the gospel. And then they'll glorify God in the day of, of, of visitation because they'll be saved. Or they'll spurn that name and mock the name and refuse to listen to the gospel. And they'll glorify God for his justice on the day of visitation when his righteous justice comes. I think it works either way. The name will be glorified. Let's go to Isaiah. This one I think would apply in Christendom, if that's a real word. I guess I know it is in English, but Christianity called Christianity, I think it would apply a lot of times. Here's what it says, Isaiah 20, 29, 13, and then the end of 14. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. The wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of the discerning will be concealed. In other words, they're coming under judgment. What they think they know will be worthless to them because they don't really allow it to weigh heavily upon them. They take it as a vain thing that they even have, and vain meaning lightly. What do we believe? Oh, well, I don't know what's to say in the back of the hymnal. That sort of thing. It's not important enough to me that I want to know. It's not important enough to me to cause me to put my faith in God by trusting Him with my heart. It's not important enough for me to obey it and live that way because I want to honor the God I'm serving. But it's important to me because it's our tradition. Yeah, I'm Christian. That's our tradition. It's not new, it was in the Old Testament taking the Lord's name in vain. See what I said earlier, that there's a lot more people taking God's name in vain than you might think. We should worship God in a way that shows that His name rests heavily upon us. Here's the opposite. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. As such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers, and God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, in this one, I consulted Ryan because he's the one that taught for John. And I, I, knew, I knew he had an answer for it, and I was in a John class, but I couldn't remember what it was. Because there's a debate about whether spirit means worship by the Holy Spirit in truth or worship means from your heart with a genuine desire to worship God. Okay, spirit being small and human. And Ryan's answer, I, in fact, I told him he got the Astute Reading Award, that's the best one, by the way. <laughs> <I> Highest honor. <daughter. laughs> he said, if you look in the context, the issue was geography and location. And there was a debate about whether the Samaritans had it right at Mount Gerizim or that the Jews had it right at Mount uh, Zion, okay, in Jerusalem. And there was a debate, and so uh, this lady wanted him to settle it. And this is how he settles it, ultimately. He says, well, salvation is from the Jews, but this is what's coming. And if you worship God as spirit and truth, it doesn't matter where you are location-wise. That can be done anywhere. You don't have to go to the temple to worship God's spirit and truth. You don't have to go to a mount somewhere to worship God's spirit and truth. This is anywhere because God is everywhere. And anywhere someone come, would come to him on his terms, they can, with his approval and his blessing and even his desire, because it says that the Father seeks these to be His worshipers, they can worship God. Isn't that great? You can't, be, you can't be anywhere where you can't worship God. And when we do so, when we worship Him, it shows that His name rests heavily upon us. When we sing songs like, Glorify Thy Name in all the earth. As we sing that from our heart with faith, we're, we're saying to God, we want You to do such a great work of grace in Your people that your glory will be shown to all the peoples of the earth. And therefore, therefore you rest heavily upon us, Kabbad, and we aren't taking your name in vain, Shav, lightly, lightly. Malachi six. Now, I said earlier that Malachi is almost a commentary on the third commandment. It really is. And let me read one. I'm only going to have one slide here because I was already getting close to my limit. And, but I'm going to read some of this to you. He says, A son honors his father, and the servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? Hebrew, kavod, glory. Resting heavily. If I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests who despise my name. Now, notice the name. The glory wasn't being given to God, so they're despising his name. They take his name in vain, because they're not giving God glory. And they don't know they're doing it. They don't have any idea. How do we despise your name? We we never we, we we love your name. We're not despising your name. And let me read on um, the answer that God gives, okay? I'm just gonna read this. Don't try to get all this down. It's a bunch of verses, just listen to it. Here's the answer Malachi one seven. You are presenting defiled food on my ar- altar but you say how we defiled thee in that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised but when you present the blind for sacrifice is that is it not evil and when you present the lame and the sick is it not evil why not offer it to your governor it's a, there's a sarcasm here it, your governor would be really mad if you brought to him what you're bringing to the Lord he wouldn't like, like it well I didn't want this lame sheep anyhow that would be a good offering Uh, And so it's taking the Lord's name in vain. But but now will you not entreat God's favor, verse 9, that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not endlessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says Yahweh, the Lord, Lord of hosts, nor will I accept the offering from you. From verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to ascending, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to the setting, as far as you can imagine, my name will be great among the nations. And that's not going to happen when you're by rote bringing your perfunctory sacrifices to get it over with. My old Catholic boss says, I hate confession. Worse than going to the dentist. Okay. Is that going to do a lot of good? Go do your duty. That's what they told me they're supposed to do. Go through the motions here. They had a legitimate system that was set up by Moses, but they were just perfunctory. But here's what God wants From the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, and a green offering to this peer for my name will be great among the Lord of hosts. But, verse 12, you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled for his fruit and his food is to be despised. Do You say how tiresome it is. I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of having to take communion. I'm tired of having to be taught the Bible. And on and on and on. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's scary. It is. It's scary. This fits right in with that sermon on Mishnah at the Lord's Supper. They're eating and drinking judgment because they're just coming in vain. Malachi 2, 2 and 7. Now that was about how they do their sacrifices. This is about the teaching, and I won't read so much of this one. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to give honor, kavod, glory, to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, curse them already, because you're not taking it to heart. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, and he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And then, the prophet goes on to instruct the priests that they're supposed to be faithful like Levi and give sound, correct, biblical instruction to the people. So the application of that would be that if a church is saying, yes, we know, we, yep, go look at our statement of faith, faith that says the Bible's true, the Bible's inerrant, we believe that. And when we get in the pulpit, the Bible's not even important enough to us to do enough studying to even see if the one verse that I'm using has anything to do with what I'm preaching. I'm saying that that is to take the Lord's name in vain. We aren't taking it to heart. This is our sacred privilege to have this Bible and these words. And the people need the truth of the word to apply to their lives so that they can be saved, so they can be sanctified, they can be instructed in godly living, living. It's profitable for instruction and righteousness. And if we would rather entertain people who don't care what the Bible means and go here and go there and have little ditties and misrepresent the Bible, we may be like those guys at the time of Malachi and say, I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain. I I don't ever swear. I love Jesus. You're taking it in vain because you don't think what God said which is representative of his name, his person, his nature, is worth explaining to the people clearly. Just to take it in vain. And that's exactly what Malachi 2 is saying. I'm not making that up. That's what it says. In Ezekiel 36, now we've got to get to the good part of this. I told you, when I studied it, I was pretty like, whoa, this is tough. How am I going to avoid this one? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Ezekiel 36, 20 and 21. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned, that's taking the Lord's name in vain, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, of Yahweh, these are the people of Yahweh, yet they came and they, yet, yet they have come out of his land. In other words, because they broke covenant, they were kicked out of the promised land. But he said this, But I have concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Then he says this, verse 23, Ezekiel 36. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God. In the Hebrew, Adonai, Yahweh. When I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So God's going to prove himself holy even though the people had not. How's he going to do that? Let's go to verse 24. Here's how he's going to prove himself holy. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols Verse 26 and 27, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. God will bring honor to his own name that had been profaned by, for Israel's sake, bringing them to the land and then redeeming them. But in anybody's case who bears the name of the Lord, we're talking about the New Testament Christian, He does so by taking someone and converting them, circumcising their heart, and giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, things change. They change. They change drastically. We no longer are going through the motions. Because now it's real. God gives us a desire to obey Him, where before it was like, ugh, these rules are so onerous, do we have to always hear more of them? But after you receive the Holy Spirit, you believe, wow, that's, that's how God wants me to live as a Christian. Then you start praying, God, help me to do so. And then the Holy Spirit gives us power as we live for Him. When it's real, it's real, and you can bring honor to God's name. Well, how can that be? Paul told some people, about this, And they said, well, we don't even know there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you how you can know that this is the way it is for you. That God's grace is causing you to glorify his name. The, the means is through the gospel itself. Jesus Christ who came as God and with God and came into our world. The very I am who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. That one came into our world and he lived a sinless life. He did many miracles. He claimed that he would be crucified and raised on the third day. He was crucified. He was raised on the third day. He shed his blood to avert God's wrath against our sin. We were profaning God's name if we were carrying it around at all. But he died for that. He died so we could be forgiven if we well, if we believe. And... What does he expect? Why why did he die for our sins? Well, because he was sinless. He was the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he died in our place. If we believe. Now, what does he want us to do? The Bible says repent and believe the gospel. What does it mean? Turn from vain religion. Turn from going through the motions. Turn from just doing what you feel like the best you can by your own power. And say, God, I've sinned. I've failed you. I haven't been serving you. I know I'm taking your name in vain, if I take it at all. Lord, I repent. I come to you. I believe in you. I trust in you. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Forgive my sins. That's what it's like to believe. And remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? Repent, be baptized, each of you for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right here, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to wash my statues. If that's not true for you today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That God's saving faith would come to you supernaturally and awaken you from the inside out and make this your understanding and your truth so that you bear his name truly and bring glory to to him. One last slide as we conclude. If you bear the name of Jesus, but not in vain, because you really do know Him and you want to obey Him, and you bear the name, here's a promise for you. I want to encourage you. As I said, I had to end on something encouraging because after I read all this Old Testament history, I thought, Wow, this this is tough. But here's the encouragement. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You will glorify God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! You will not bear his name in vain. If he perfects the work, it wasn't in vain. If he completes you, it wasn't in vain. If you're there on that day giving glory to God, it wasn't in vain that has been so far come to Jesus Christ so that Philippians 1 and verse 6 would be true of you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for giving us Your words and the implications of them, as weighty as they are. But we know that these things are for our good, that You care for us, that You love us, and You want us to be a people glorifies your name and we feel that we've probably fallen short but we have hope because you promised to perfect the work in us and we pray to that end trusting you to complete your work in Jesus name Amen please stand for the benediction Since we were in the Old Testament, I'll I'll take the benediction from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.